at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our October 4th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and we are here to give you data, give you perspective in order to help you take that next step in your journey towards financial freedom. And our work continues each and every weekday. We do this by giving you unbiased perspective developed with over 20 plus years of investment experience. And of course, we're going to touch on the market performance today. We're going to run down some show topics, but we are also going to get to our first caller question now. Hello, this is Suzanne from New Jersey. I'd appreciate your take on American Power Corporation, ticker symbol AMP. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. American Power. Let me see. Eight Was it AEP? Yeah, I think maybe you were looking at AEP. There's some, because there's American Power Corporation, and that one is a micro cap. And then there's American Electric Power Company, AEP, which is a utility. I believe that's the one she is speaking about. And uh, I actually think of the utility companies, this is certainly one of the better ones out there. If you look at the areas they operate in, Arkansas, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Ohio, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, West Virginia, and Virginia. And so those areas are getting population growth from the major cities. And they have a strong mix of all different types of electric power production coming from natural gas, 27%, renewable and hydro, 23%, nuclear, 7%, and demand response, 2%. And that typically, uh, it can mean a lot of things, but sometimes that is, for example, gas that comes out of a landfill, landfill gas, that is sometimes uh, a way to get power. And, you know, this, but the, overall, this is well diversified. And it is a good business. And of the utility names, it is solid. Question is, how much utilities do you want to have? Always in this market with, you know, utilities are a long duration asset. As I said yesterday, you don't want a lot of those. Let's say you'd never buy any of them. But uh, if you were to buy something like this, it's a very small percentage of the portfolio. And that goes with all the utilities. All right. Now we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 45 minutes. My main focus point is in regards to with savings accounts rates as high as they've been since 2007. 
And with most mortgage rates that people have on their fixed mortgage, lower than that level, what should you do? Should you pay down your mortgage? So we're going to dig into that topic. Also, dynamic pricing. We know Uber uses it and airlines use it. Many industries use it. And it is growing in popularity. So we're going to talk about what companies can make the switch to dynamic pricing that will be able to increase their profits, increase their revenue without making consumers mad. Some industries can, some industries cannot. So we're going to look at that. Also, investors. We know a lot of investors buy real estate. Both mom and pop investors, but also REITs, also your big institutional landlords, think BlackRock and Blackstone. So where are they putting their money? Are they buying more now or are they buying less? So we're going to look at that data. Also, the quit rate for jobs. We're going to look at that and what does that tell us about the jobs market as we had jobs number today that was weaker than expected and another jobs uh, number that comes out on Friday. So those are the topics that are on the docket for me. We're also going to get to your voice bank questions on Sunrun as well as Exxon Mobil and I'll try to get to an iTunes review question as well. Now let's look at the market overall today. We had a... See, was it mixed? Yes, fairly mixed, but overall positive. And large caps were about 80 basis points, small caps up about 40 basis points, mid caps also up about 80 basis points. So the large caps certainly outperformed today. And this is all about the dollar. The dollar was down today. And I, I think we're very close to at least a near term bottom. I said that yesterday, we got a little bounce today. The dollar needs to calm down a bit. Uh, the economic data that came out today was certainly one of those bad news is good news type of events. And that's kind of with a Fed so dominant in changing the liquidity dynamics within the system with supporting the treasury market. What their ultimate policy will be is vital to where asset prices are going. And therefore, when the market is looking at these economic data points, they're looking at it through that lens. And you had the ADP employment number came out about 89,000 jobs. So sub 100,000 like the actual jobs number for last for, for the month of August. And that was in the market's mind, a harbinger of a weak data point or a weak data print that we might get on Friday. So that's what brought interest rates down a bit. That's what brought the uh, the dollar down a bit. But this 10-year is still at 4.73%. It needs to get some follow-through to the downside. And that's the big question. Will it? And I think we're going to need a couple more days. We're going to need to wait till Friday to see if that is a, a number that's it's true because ADP's number typically is wildly inaccurate. Not to say it can't be a weak jobs number on Friday, but I I don't like to overreact to the ADP number because it isn't a great indicator of the actual jobs number we're going to get. 
Now, there were other data points that we saw today. You had oil inventory higher than expected. That brought oil down. Obviously, that's a positive for the Fed to be uh, you know, a little uh, less hawkish. And then the ISM services data, that actually came in weaker than expected as well. Only 536 on the number above 50, so it's still growing, but employment index fell, new orders fell, uh, the index more broadly fell, and prices paid were roughly flat. So that was another data point that is a lot is the market pricing in a more dovish Fed until the end of the year. All right. Now, as we go to a break, let me remind you to check out our new Invest Talk Classroom series. It is streaming now for free over on YouTube, and our latest episode is out now. It's episode nine on understanding mutual funds and ETFs. And these are common ways to invest in the market, get broad diversification, but you might be wondering, are mutual funds and ETFs safe? Well, it depends on what funds you own, bond funds, equity funds, stock funds, a fund with a mix of assets. You need to be in the know. You need to understand what to look for and how to understand these investments because most people have exposure typically through their 401k or elsewhere. So just head over to YouTube and search through the Invest Talk Classroom. And my phone lines are open waiting for you at 888-99-CHART. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99 Chart. The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Robert from Burlingame. I had a question about the stock RUN, Sunrun. I just want to know how they are in terms of uh, being a strong solar company as there's so many of them out there. And hopefully it's helping me as well as not just as an investment, but to see if it's a reliable company to invest in their product in the long run. Thank you. And I'll be listening on it. All right, this is Sunrun, and they're engaged in the design, development, installation, sale, ownership, and maintenance of residential solar energy systems. So you might be thinking about putting a Sunrun system on your home. That may be uh, one of your reasons for the call. But as a company, they are not doing well at all. They lost a lot of money in 2020 and 2021. They made some money last year, but expected to lose $1.32 this year and $0.77 cents a share next year. Remember, the cost to put these systems in is high. And when interest rates are very low, it 
it makes the calculus of these systems that last 10, 15, maybe 20 years a lot better. When interest rates are higher, it's a lot more difficult. And Sunrun has a ton of debt in its balance sheet. It is just hemorrhaging cash, negative $3.3 billion in free cash flow over the last 12 months. And it's just getting worse. That's the lowest it's ever been. Cash from operations, negative $1 billion trailing 12 months, also the lowest it's, it's ever been. Everything about this company screams bankruptcy. And I think that's where this is headed. So I now, will their systems work fine? Yeah, probably. They're, they'll probably be bought out of bankruptcy and your system will be serviced by whoever is purchasing the company out of bankruptcy. So, you know, that's kind of a up in the air. It could be a good company. It could be bad. You really never know. Um, so clearly, this is a business that is not long for the stock market. will probably go bankrupt over the next few years with the cost of capital. So I would... Run from Sunrun. All right. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. JDC Auburn in Beirut says, could either of you comment on the benefits of risks and risks of buying this preferred stock from B of A to get seven and a quarter percent? What has to occur? It seems the current yield is around 6%. I assume you would have to buy it at $1,000 a share to get that seven and a quarter percent. Thanks. Looking at BAC-L, and she she's correct. He or she, I'm not sure if uh, male or female. Uh, but they're correct that the coupon rate on this is seven and a quarter percent, but you have to buy it at par, which would be $1,000. That's the liquidation value. Right now, it's trading at 1070 So if you adjust for that premium you'd have to pay to buy it, you're going to get about a 6.8% yield currently. Now, here's the issue. I don't like preferred shares. I don't like preferred shares when interest rates are low and staying low because of the fact that they're in the middle of the capital structure. There's a bankruptcy. Preferred shares are behind the bondholders, and typically you don't get a lot left. There's not, not a whole lot left after you're paying the bondholders, so a lot of times zero. So that's number one. I don't like being after the bondholders. And then... Most of these preferred shares are perpetual, and this one is, meaning Bank of America does not need to give you back your par value ever. Now, you can go sell it, right? If it's liquid, you can go sell it. So that's one way to get your par value back. But there's no real maturity date here. And so you're going to get that seven and a quarter percent if there's no bankruptcy. But if there is bankruptcy, you're going to lose a lot of your par value if not all of it. And you can just go buy a Bank of America bond and probably get close to this yield and have a maturity date that's relatively short term. So I don't like this. I don't like preferred shares and especially in a rising rate environment. I don't want long duration assets like preferred shares. So I'm running once again from this B of A preferred. All right, we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via the live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here. 
and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Now, our focus point looks into the story behind this question. With savings account rates higher than most mortgage rates, how can you optimize your particular situation? Now, data from UBS says that 61% of mortgages, outstanding mortgages, are below 4%, below 4%. But we all know that short-term treasuries are yielding 5.5%. You can go find high-yield FDIC-insured savings accounts at 5 five to 5.25%. Five the three-month treasury is at 5.61%. It's kind of the highest part of the curve. And so if you're paying 4% on your mortgage, but your cash can earn you 5 plus, why pay down your mortgage? That's what a lot of people are asking themselves. And this is the first time most people have had to deal with this situation. Because we've been stuck at nothing on our savings for you know the better part of 15 years up until about 18 months ago. And that arbitrage, and that's really what you're doing here, is trying to arbitrage the interest that you're paying versus you're receiving. Now, you have to take in tax consequences into consideration because you can write off mortgage interest to some degree that has been limited, but that's a consideration. So you have to know what your after-tax cost of your mortgage is, as well as your after-tax income that you may receive on your cash. And even for adjusting, uh, even adjusting for these things, the vast majority of people are still going to come out ahead. That spread is going to be positive. And we call this, in, in the finance business, we call this carry. The carry that you're receiving on top of the borrowing that you're making. So as long as rates stay this high, it makes zero sense to pay down your mortgage. Because even if you see rates cut over the next year, which certainly is possible, once the earnings on your cash are lower than your mortgage rate, then you take that cash and now you start to pay down that mortgage. Now, another strategy could be is saying, hey, this is cash I don't need. This is cash I would want to set aside to pay down that mortgage. What do I do? Well, you could also lock that in at a higher rate. For example, let's look at the treasury. The two-year treasury is, why is this not working? It wants to, there we go. The two years at five. So you could lock in 5% because that, that's the issue here is you could say I'm earning 5.5% now, but in six months, the Fed might cut rates and you might be down at four rather quickly. And then suddenly it doesn't make as much sense or might not make sense at all because your mortgage rate might be at four. So you could say, I'm going to lock mine in for two years or three years. I'm going to get maybe less 
that I am right now, but still around 5% on a two, even a three year, you can get 4.85 on a, on a treasury. These are risk free. There's no risk here. So everybody should potentially think about doing this. If you have excess cash that is earmarked to pay down a mortgage. Now you may not have, you, you may not earmark it for, uh, if you don't earmark it, excuse me, for paying down a mortgage, maybe it's to save in your 401k, saving your IRA. That's also another great place to allocate money. And it could be short-term treasuries. It could be equities. Right now, obviously, a much better time to be buying equities since we've had this pullback. But a lot of people don't, they, they have other considerations. A lot of people, one of their goals is to pay down that mortgage completely by the time they retire. Now, we actually think that's a good goal for most people. It's a conservative goal, but it is a, a good goal. It makes the cash flow situation in retirement a lot easier. And so this is a new environment, but something everybody should consider if they have some excess cash. All right. We're going to go to a quick break here. Now, the next Invest Talk, we'll look into the story behind this question. Should you have allocation funds in your portfolio? These are all-in-one funds that can simply simplify the investment process and prove diversification. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your questions now at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices well you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hello, my name is Janet. I'm calling from County of Marin, just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Thank you for all the years of your radio show and podcast. I've really appreciated it. I'm calling about ExxonMobil. I'm wondering if it's time to sell. In January 2022, at about $75, at the time it seemed like a hedge against inflation and the rising price of oil. So at the time, 
the dividend was about 4%, and it was pretty attractive um, considering you couldn't get any interest for your money in the bank. But now it seems to have, it's appreciated, which is great, and I'm wondering if it's time to sell. I don't need the income from the dividend. The dividend is not as uh, nice as it was. I'm wondering if it's time to sell it or possibly trade it in for uh, another stock such as Chevron. Thanks again, and I'll look forward to listening to your answer on the podcast. Bye. All right, looking at ExxonMobil, and glad you're up pretty nicely on it. Energy has done well, and Exxon is going to do well if energy does well. It is the largest oil name out there in market cap, $446 billion, and its current yield is about 3.3%. So that's what happens when price goes up and the dividend stays relatively steady. You know, the current dividend yield does decline. But, you know, should you sell it for Chevron? You know, Chevron is a good name. There's nothing wrong with it. They have very similar businesses, and I have no problem with Chevron either. About 3.6% dividend yield, but that's not the way to look at this. I don't really honestly care what the dividend yield is for one versus the other. It's more about how steady is the business versus an alternative that you might be looking at. And what's the growth of the business compared to that alternative? Now, Exxon's earnings are supposed to fall 33% this year and 3% next year, whereas Chevron is supposed to have a 29% decline this year and a 7% increase next year. So obviously, Chevron is doing a little bit better over the next couple of years from its, its growth level. Now, what I would say is I don't think that this is or that either of these names are the best place to be within the oil patch. If you want oil exposure, you know, I want a pure play. I want a pure play EMP company. Remember, Chevron and Exxon, they both have downstream assets. So they own pipelines. They own refining facilities. They have petrochemical facilities. And that makes their business more diversified, their revenues and earnings more stable, but also they don't capture the total upside nearly as well as a pure play E&P company. So if you were to sell Exxon, I wouldn't say, oh, let's go to Chevron because they're very similar businesses, very similar in profitability. I would be looking for a pure play E&P company. That's basically what I would say. So once again, I like both companies, but this isn't the type of this isn't the type of name that you trade out for an Exxon or sorry, a Chevron. All right, thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on dynamic pricing. And we know this dynamic pricing really from the airline industry. They're the first ones to start it. Started back in 1983 when we deregulated the airline industry. And we know today that if you book early, you're going to get a good price. If you wait last minute, you're probably not going to get a good price. Now, there are some suggestions on when you should book. It's typically between three to six weeks out uh, is kind of the sweet spot. But these are all powered by algorithms. And as as you would imagine, our algorithms and the power of computing since 1983 have have grown tremendously. And now, with the institution, in the with the implementation, there we go, of our artificial intelligence, this is becoming a lot easier to implement across other industries. Now, higher inflation 
has eroded margins in many industries. But technology, a lot of companies are using this technology to potentially shift the profitability dynamics within their industry and their company. And it does cut both both ways. It can improve margins, but can also make consumers pretty mad. Now, a 2018 study by MIT found that dynamic pricing boosted airline revenue by 1% to 4% compared to traditional pricing. It's over the last 30 plus years. Now, Uber has started to implement this as of recently. But the thing with algorithms and AI is they're not human as much as AI wants to be. Uh, And there was the London Bridge terror attack in 2017. And people were mad that that situation created a surge in pricing and kind of gouged people who needed rides. So it can be, it, it can make consumers pretty, pretty mad. And that happens in the ticketing industry as well. So for example, Live Nation, they're being investigated by the Department of Justice in an anti-probe lawsuit. Talking about dynamic pricing, doubling, selling at double the face value of other tickets at the same show in the same area of the venue. So this is all about how businesses can communicate these strategies to customers. And I think in the ticket industry, it doesn't work. I think when people have alternatives, it can work. And that's really the summation of this. Uh, because if you want to go see an artist, for example, it's in your area, you don't have alternatives. You want to go see your artist. Whereas if it's a hotel, if it's an airline, okay, that airline or the hotel is more expensive. You can go find something similar that'll get the job done. Now, what's interesting here is that this is, Fixed pricing is actually rare. In most of human history, commerce pricing was dynamic. Customers haggled. They bartered with vendors. But in 1876, Quaker merchant John Wanamaker introduced price tags at his his department store in Philadelphia. And guess what? The owner of Macy's was also a Quaker at the time, and they copied that. And then it allowed Macy's and other department stores to expand rapidly. So this is just going back to really old pricing, using technology to have dynamic pricing. Now, some 52% of 901 U.S. consumers surveyed said that they regard dynamic pricing in restaurants as equivalent to price gouging. And this is actually where I see this happening, going to happen more. Think of all those QR codes getting away from the paper menu, which are fixed pricing. But if you had a QR code at every table, like a lot of restaurants are having now, and it pulls up on your phone, you don't know if those prices have changed from an hour ago or a day ago or a week ago. And I see this is where it could be implemented in a way that won't piss off their customers because maybe allow them to lower prices in times when it's not as busy work both ways. And then 
in the busier times, the Saturday nights, Friday nights, maybe that restaurant will be less busy, might be more expensive, but you'll, you're able to get a table. This is all about the willingness for consumers as well as regulatory agencies to, to tolerate these pricing, I don't want to say schemes, but uh, strategies. Uh, and I think you're going to see this more and more. All right, squeeze in another Invest Talk caller question at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve, Justin, and Luke. Alex here. I have two questions. One, generally about um, real estate. I know it's been a pretty heavily beat-up sector this year. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are, obviously with interest rates looking to stay high, if it's worth starting to move into that sector with potential gains. And secondly, on a particular stock, I believe you guys hold um, S. CI Service Corporation. It's uh, again been really beat up over the last uh, 12 months. Um, the fundamentals look good. Um, nothing has dramatically changed, obviously, in the uh, funeral business after COVID. Um, looks like things are fairly stable, but uh, they seem to be beating on revenue and guidance. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are and if it's a good time to pick some more up. Thanks a lot, and I look forward to your answer. Yeah, we've owned service. Corp International SCI for a while. It has pulled back with the, the rest of the market, but uh, and their business has mean reverted because a lot of people unfortunately passed during the pandemic, and their business was very good. They're in the funeral business, uh, and uh, you know their earnings are still well higher than they were pre-pandemic, but uh, they've retrenched just a bit. So uh, the equities down, uh, down to fifty-five dollars per share, and I think this is a good time to pick it up now. When it comes to real estate, here here's my general thoughts on these areas that have been beaten up in a big way. The bond proxies. I think we're very close to a good tradable bottom in these names. Okay, the companies that pay big dividends maybe have decent amount of debt in their balance sheet. That people buy for that income, like REITs, think utilities, consumer staples, they've been taking it on the chin. You should look over the last month, real estate's down 11.23%. The consumer, where my consumer defensive, that's not only 5.5. Where's utilities? I'm trying to find utilities here. Here you go. Utilities down 8.7. So utilities and real estate, the worst two sectors over the last two months, the last month. And this is all because of the rise in interest rates. And I think we are near the short-term peak in interest rates. But I don't think we're in the long-term peak in interest rates. What that means is this rally that you're likely to see as the Fed probably becomes easier over the next year, that's a rally to be selling into. This is your opportunity if you own these names, if you've been chasing yield, to find an opportunity to sell long-duration assets. So depends on your time horizon here. As a trade, yes. Yes. I think there are some great REITs, utilities that you can pick up. 
as a long-term buy and hold because you want to collect that dividend? No, because you're taking on way too much duration risk with these names. All right, now let's make it two in a row at 888-99-CHART. Hello, Steve and Justin. I wanted to know what you guys thought about Google's current valuation. I added Google to my portfolio when it was down in the mid-90s, and I wanted to keep adding more, but not sure if I should give it a chance to drop more. Just a little information on me. I'm only 28, so Google would be a long-term hold in my portfolio. Can't wait to hear you guys answer this on the podcast. Thank you. All right. Google has rallied with a lot of the other tech names bottomed late last year in the mid-90s, so glad you were able to pick it up. Actually, bottomed in the mid 80s, but glad you were to pick it up sub 100. And, you know, I have no problem with owning Google longer term. Of the Fang names, I've said this for a while, out next to Apple, and I do think it's still a tier lower than Apple in its business, I think that it is uh, the best of the Fang names, second best, once again, next to Apple. The biggest issue, though, is antitrust. There's regulatory pressure on a lot of the mega caps, mega cap tech names that will cause them potential pain and change their business dramatically. And then AI, think of Bing integrating artificial intelligence, Microsoft's implementing AI into operating system as well. So will you need Google as much going forward? I think those are some risks that you have to take into account. That's why I wouldn't overload myself with uh, with Google shares at this time. Uh, but back if it gets back below $100 per share, I think it's a good risk versus reward. But I'd be patient on adding to it because you know there's going to be market volatility. The FANG names will be out of favor at some point again, like they were last year. Uh, and so I would be patient on Google. All right, let's touch a bit on investors investing in real estate. And we know commercial real estate has not fared very well over the past couple of years, falling 16% in value since March of last year. Office and malls are under even more pressure. And U.S. apartment values are down more than 20% since last year's peak. But when it comes to single-family residences, investors are slowing down their purchases. So according to John Burns Research and Consulting, large landlords bought 0.4% of U.S. homes in the second quarter. That's down from a peak of 2.4% at the end of 2021. So large landlords are pulling back BlackRock uh, and Blackstone. You also have your REITs like AMH uh, Homes and Invitation Homes. They've slowed their buying and, and some of them have become net sellers. Okay, And this is showing you that their cost of capital is just simply too high for the cap rates that they are getting. And then you add on top of that the glut of and the pipeline of apartments that are coming on uh, onto the market over the next couple of years, that's going to pressure rents overall. So uh, it's not a good time to be a, a landlord. I would be selling if you are a landlord, if you think you're going to do it in the next five, 10 years. All right, going to break. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART.
Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to take on your finance and investment questions. Call Investalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. I am just curious about Kellogg's. I've owned it for several years, and it's been about 6% of my portfolio. But in the past couple of days, they did a split, and I'm just not really clear on if I should keep holding both sides of the split or if it's time to let some of it go. Um, but my portfolio has really been suffering from that lately, so I'd appreciate any advice. Thanks. Oh, this is interesting. Okay, so it looks like there is the the old symbol was simply K, and now there is KLG, which is WK Kellogg, and this is the second largest cereal manufacturer in North America now, probably behind General Mills, and so this is the brands like Special K, Frosted Flakes, Raisin Bran, Fruit Loops. Mini frosted mini wheats, cornflakes, etc. So it's a cereal business now. Whereas the new symbol K, so that sorry, that was KLG. The new symbol K is looks like a snack business. So they make salty snacks, snack bars, frozen breakfast fare, meat alternatives, and other packaged foods. So things like Pringles, Cheez Its, Rice Krispies, Pop Tarts, Eggos, Nutrigrain, Morning Star Farms, etc. So it depends on what type of business you want to own. Do you want to own a cereal business or do you want to own a snack business? That's really what happened here. Just kind of pure, more pure play way to play different parts of the packaged food market. You know, which one's better? I'd really have to dig into it. My gut says I rather own the snack business. You know, Pepsi got in the snack business. That's done really well for them. I, I feel like kids are eating are, are eating cereal as much as they were in the past. Maybe that's because of less drinking of milk, for example. Um, so I'd really have to dig into each one of these businesses. But that's kind of my gut on both of these and which one I would hold versus the other. It would be the new one, which is titled Kellanova. Kellanova is the new snack business spun-off from Kellogg. All right, interesting. I hadn't looked at that one. I haven't seen that one. That only happened, let's see, how many days ago that happened? A week ago? Yeah, so I was not on top of that one. We don't own Kellogg. All right. Let's touch on the jobs market. We have the jobs data coming out on Friday. We have the ADP number today, the disappointed. and But you had, over the past few weeks, the initial jobless claims that continue to plumb to nearly the lows of the year, lowest level since January. And that has ignited the bond market sell-off. But the big question will be, will there be a big reversal with a more disappointing jobs number on Friday? And if you look at the quits number, which is an understanding of how many people are the the total job market are quitting. And right now, as of August, it was 2.3%. And the peak was was at 3% in April of last year. So we're back to pre-pandemic levels. And the main reason that has narrowed is because switching jobs, or the, the amount of money, more money you can make by switching jobs has narrowed dramatically. And there's a lot of risk to it, right? New colleagues, learning curve, a lot of unknowns with working with a new employer. And if you look at jobs posting, job postings are down 
from a year ago, according to job site Indeed. And salary growth expectations, the budget for next year, is has now shrunk to 3.9% from 4.1% last year. Now, you could say it's dropping because more Americans are satisfied with their job, and that's actually true. And a big reason is hybrid work. What's interesting here is they did a survey. Those that work fully remote versus fully on-site are less happy than those that work hybrid. So a lot of people like a little bit of both. Being able to work from home, but also being able to go into an office, see their colleagues, etc. But overall, the picture here on the quit side is that the jobs market is not nearly as strong as those initial jobless claims numbers are, are telling you. So it'll be interesting to see what we get on Friday, but I actually think we will get another rough month of job creation. All right, I'm Justin Klein. This is another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Now we have achieved more than 56 million downloads since it all began, and we thank you for that. And thank you for your loyalty. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.